Tonight, we have a special, special treat lined up for you. So uh, if you haven't noticed, out on the table on your way out this door, uh, there's a little box that says take five. And a lot of Sunday nights, uh, we take five minutes just to respond to questions that you guys are asking, questions that are important to you. You can write those out. You can submit those in there. And we try and do that every time we gather together. But sometimes we don't have the time to do it. And uh, what I wanted you guys to know is, Uh, those are really important to us. And we really value the questions that you guys are asking, the kinds of things that you're thinking about. And we want to take some time to really respond to as many of those as we possibly can. Uh, In our text, we've been going through the book of Ephesians in this series to the praise of his glory. And uh, we're in Ephesians chapter five. We did verses one through 11 uh, and right, or one through 14, uh, 15 begins by saying, look carefully then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And so tonight, uh, I've invited Dan and Rachel and Amanda to join me and to share some wisdom, some biblical truth, and some other wisdom gained by life experience on the questions that you guys have submitted into the Take 5 box. So uh, what we kind of have here is like a rapid fire question. I'm going to throw it out there. And then this panel of lovely individuals is going to respond. And they're going to kind of work with one another to give a response that we're hoping is useful, is beneficial, that stirs you towards worship, that gives you better understanding, and enables you to look carefully then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to throw our first question out there and we'll kind of see where this thing goes. Are you guys ready? (laughs) Okay, yeah, good. Are you guys ready? (laughs) Okay, good. Well, uh, first question that's been in there, and I've seen a couple people ask this actually, uh, how do we know that God is real? All right. Um, Ooh, this is weird. Um, Okay, so two things uh, that come to mind for me and I think are kind of the big points are, one, uh, we can know that God is real in creation. Um, So Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, And then here in Romans 1, um, 19 uh, says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Um, So you look at, the human body or the uh, cre- like nature um, and just all of the intricate details uh, that go into that attest to a creator. And then uh, the other thing would be that we can know that God is real by what we see him do in our lives and in the lives of others. Um, so the Bible is full of stories of people that God changed their life and did something and um, we have our own stories too where uh, God has changed us and has done things that only a God could do, um, not man or anything else. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think this whole concept of, yes, seeing all of the things that God has created and then also seeing clear evidence in our lives just as we go throughout things. There are things that we just, we can't help but attribute to something that was certainly beyond what is normal and natural. And then it's just that decision of, okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, And so, you know, we we probably all on this panel, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but um, maybe had doubts at some point in our walks with the Lord, or at least um, kind of 
asking questions. We'd heard it when we were younger. We agreed with it. We still kind of held on to it. But then there was a point where it's like, wait a minute. Do I really grasp this? Do I really understand this? Uh, and I think one of the questions to grapple with in that is, okay, great, but what if we're wrong? Like, what if, what if God is fake? Uh, what if God is not actually who we've said he is? That's another question that someone asked. Who wants to grab that one? Uh, I can speak a little on that. Um, I think kind of going to Cody's, like, um, we've all had times where we've doubted and stuff. Uh, I think for me, a big, a big part of that is in the medical field, as I have learned more about like the human body and how intricate and complex it is, um, it is, it is just mind boggling. And it's, it's kind of like Amanda was reading, you just really see the glory of God in his, and through his creation. And so like one of the questions I, I've often asked is like, okay, if God is real, like, how does this all come about? How does this complex nature all fit in? And um, I know Tim Keller wrote a book, Reason for God, and it's, it, that's a great resource that answers kind of a lot of these, these questions. And it's like, you kind of realize how complex it is, and it almost takes more faith to believe that there isn't a God than there is a God when you just see the intricacy of his creation and the complexity of, of nature. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Uh, a really fun term that I've heard in the past kind of dealing with that exact concept, uh, it's called irreducible complexity. That's like a 10 cent phrase, right? At least. Uh, irreducible complexity is this idea that like the human body is so complex that so many systems have to be working and operating in such a precise way that if any of them failed to act with that precision in that exact moment, then the whole thing would just fail. And so the chances of that actually like coming together via cells just colliding again and again and again, and again oh, a human, uh, is just kind of, you know, uh, crazy, really. Uh, so, okay, why then, if, you know, we, we, we talk about this and when you're in the position of, by God's grace, having a knowledge of God, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Uh, this whole concept where it's like, why doesn't everybody see this? Shouldn't it be so obvious? Uh, so why don't some people believe in God or believe that God exists? Um, I'll take that one. I think um, in my experience, that's not as many people as we think it is. When we would think about like atheists or people who are just outright don't believe in God. Um, I found in my experience, you guys can speak to it too, um, there aren't that many people who will just flat out deny a God or that can look at the complexity of the human body or the intricacies of the universe and just flat out deny the existence of a God. Um, but I think in some circumstances, there definitely is that. Um, and that's because the Bible talks about the devil has blinded our hearts and we have hard hearts towards the truth of Christ because um, that's just part of the reality of where we are in redemptive history. Um, but I think it ultimately comes back to our sin problem. Um, since the garden, we have been putting ourselves at the center of our own universe. We wanted to rely on ourselves um, and not have to depend on God. Um, and I think that that is shown um, when people don't believe in God. So I think there's two kind of ideas about how people go about thinking about um, the non-existence of a God. I think one of them we typically would call agnosticism, which is I don't know. Um, which is just, if God is infinite and I am finite, there's no way for me to understand him or know him, so I'm not going to worry about it. 
Um, so it's the, my intellect is the highest thing that we have, and if I can't reason it, and I can't understand it, then it's not worth it. And the other one would be atheism, which is there's not that scientific material proof um, that can show me enough that there's a God, so I'm going to keep living my life like he doesn't exist because he doesn't, and I've proven it. Um, I find that one harder to believe as a scientist um, because that's not how science works. We can't disprove anything with science. We can only prove it because it's a deductive reasoning process. Um, but I think at the heart of it, um, it's all our sin and us putting us at the center of understanding the universe. If I can't understand it, that's the end of that. That's, that's really, I, 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 that's, that's a unique perspective for me, Rachel. That's really, really helpful. Uh, just hearing that, even just how science works, right? It's a deductive reasoning process. Um, and we can't disprove things. We can only prove things. Um, that's really helpful. So let me kind of throw this as a follow-up question to all of that. Um, you know, I, I think especially in our culture now, uh, there's like spirituality is a big deal. And maybe you guys have experienced this as well, like friends at school maybe, uh, they wouldn't say that they don't believe in God, they would say that they're spiritual, that they believe that there's a higher power, that kind of thing. Is this, nod your head if I'm not making things up here. Okay, so some of you have experienced this before. Uh, so, you know, people that they have this spirituality, this connection with the higher power, what is it? that makes the God of the Bible so unpalatable, right? Like so, uh, I would just rather have this whole thing where it's like, yeah, there's this greater power out there, and as long as I'm doing good and loving other people, then certainly that higher power must be appeased, must be glad with me. What is it about the God in the Bible that people are just like, I just don't wanna have anything to do with that idea? They're so um, polite, aren't they? <laughs> I think, like Rachel was saying, I think at the root of all of this still is like this sin issue. And I think it's this, this selfishness um, that we want to be in control of our own lives. And, um, and I think from people that I've talked to personally, a lot of times they have this preconceived mold of what they think God or this higher power should be and if any of these religions don't fit into that exact mold, then they just discard it. Um, and that's a very different approach than what the Bible um, comes at it from. It's more, more of a humble approach of just giving up yourself and accepting of who God is and the character of God. And so I think a lot of people um, just say like, I believe in a part of God, but I don't like this part of what the Bible says about God, so I'm gonna just throw that away. Yeah. It's kind of some of the things I've kind of encountered. And I think the Bible talks again and again about how when we are in darkness, we love that darkness because it doesn't expose um, our sinfulness. And if we submit to um, the God of the Bible, um, we have to deal with our sin problem. Um, and if we're just kind of loosey-goosey, there's a higher power, um, I don't have to change anything about my life. Yeah. I can hide in that darkness, um, and it's a comfort thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, some people really like. Have you guys ever read one of those create your own adventure books? 
uh, where you get to choose, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot of you in it, and so you get to make your choices, and in the end, you kind of, you know, you end up where you end up because of your own choosing, and people aren't really comfortable with the whole idea of, no, 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 the story's, it's being written by an author, and it's not you, and you don't get to pick what you want to put in there. You don't get to pick the parts that you like and discard the parts that you don't like. Uh, that's just not how it works, and I think that's really difficult for us. Uh, really, really helpful perspectives on that. So kind of wrapping up this whole existence of God kind of questions, um, if students are still out there right now, like, you know, I've really been working my way through this. I'm, I'm, I am struggling with some doubts. What are like one or two things that you guys might say, hey, here's what you might consider. Like, here's what you do next with those doubts, with those questions. Uh, because certainly 13 minutes and 42 seconds aren't sufficient to bring that person to where they need to be. Um, and they're still wanting more. So where can they find that? What can they do? Um, I would say seek after truth. Uh, don't sit in those doubts. And so one, uh, God's word has all answers that you need for life and godliness. Um, and God will reveal himself to you through his word. Um, and also, um, I would encourage, um, go to seek wise counsel from trusted people, your small group leader, your parents, uh, maybe some other individual to help you work through some of these doubts. Um, that would kind of be yeah. my initial thoughts. No, that's, that's great. That's, that's really good, Amanda. I really, and, and that's, I mean, Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so there is this like reality of, yes, hear from the Lord first, go seek him in his word, allow the spirit of God to do a work through the word of God, and then absolutely uh, invite wise counsel in and continue to bring people in that love you and care about you and want to help you kind of continue to grow in the truth. Well, super helpful on that. Let's kind of shift gears here a little bit. So we're talking about uh, knowledge of God, existence of God. What do we do about doubts and whatnot? But what about like our unbelieving friends at school or different people that we're interacting with? Um, how do we bring up our relationship with Jesus, the salvation that we found in Christ with our unbelieving friends in a way that's not um, like synthetic and functional and, you know, kind of like we cooked up this whole little process and now all of a sudden it's time to like present. Uh, what, what does that look like, talking about Jesus with our unbelieving friends? Yeah, and like Cody mentioned, I, I don't want, I'm just gonna kind of share some things that have been helpful for me in my own life. Um, but again, this is, it, it's a, there's a wide variety of people out there with different types of beliefs, different types of um, of questions that they will have. So I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer to, um, to, to follow. Um, but I, I really resonate a lot with what um, Doug has been preaching on Sunday. Um, just the, the verse about that we loved you so much that we wanted to share not only the gospel, but also our lives as well. And I think that is a, a great place to start. Um, I think that God's work in your life should be evident in how you live your life and, um, in, and then in just in naturally sharing your life, you will, be, um, you will be sharing your faith and sharing Christ. I think a, a really nice practical example that I have um, found has helped bring up discussion is people ask you, how was your weekend? Um, instead of just saying, fine. <laughs> 
say, what did you do on this weekend? You probably went to church and say something. It was good. I, uh, on Sunday, I went to church and I, I thought that the message had blah, blah, blah. And just like say some, some line that you thought was motivating about the message. Or, hey, I, yeah, I went to student ministries last night and I thought it was really cool. They answered this question and I never really thought about that before. That's your life. That's what you're, you guys are living right now. Um, That's good. It's not a very formal like, hey, let me tell you what I learned in church this Sunday. It's more just answering the question, what did you do this weekend? Well, this is what you're doing right now this weekend. Um, so that is just kind of a, like a nice practical way. Um, I don't think you will always get, um, oh, you went to church, can you tell me about the gospel? Like, that's not always gonna happen. Um, so I think um, Peter talks about always uh, wanting to give a reason for the hope that you have. Um, I think as Christians, we do need to be prepared if people do ask us um, uh, to be able to give reasons for why we believe what we believe. Um, and sometimes you do have to be a little more intentional. Um, there's, there's a couple times in my life, there was, I had uh, one um, classmate that was um, uh, of Mormon belief. Um, they're kind of a, um, I won't go into all what the Mormon faith is, but they have some deviations from what Christians believe. And so I just asked him, I was like, hey, you want to get together and just kind of talk about some of the differences between your, what you believe and what I believe the Bible says? And he was very open to it. And we've had lots of discussions about that. So I, don't be so afraid about talking about religion with people. Um, sometimes if you just ask the question, they'll be really open to talk and... and um, and I just want to lastly say is do not feel personally responsible for the salvation of other people because we are required to share the gospel, um, but just always recognize that it's God who will change their heart ultimately yeah. for his glory. Yeah, yeah, that last part is so, so, so important of what is the goal? What, is, what, what do we measure as success in sharing the gospel? It's not conversion uh, because we can't do that. Only God can. And so it's faithfulness. It's obedience. It's continuing to increase in our proficiency in doing that. Um, really, really helpful. So let me ask this question. Uh, this is kind of a uh, a statement that's been used in the past. This is a, this is a, we might have disagreement up here, so prepare yourself. Gird your loins. Um, what do you think about the phrase, preach the gospel and use words if necessary? Preach the gospel and use words if necessary. That'll preach, right? Like that, that sounds cool. Um, what is it? Is it good? Is it bad? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Amanda's got something to say. <laughs> Get it, girl. <laughs> um, so I think that there is definitely um, a aspect of living out the gospel in your actions and the things that you do and say um, that is a testimony to the work of God. Um, however, people need to hear truth. They need to hear the words. And so uh, you might be surprised in assuming that somebody knows about God and the gospel. Um, and maybe they don't, and they need to hear it from you. And so I think that they need to go hand in hand um, and uh, different circumstances may, you know, look a little different, but um, that would be my, my answer to that. Yeah, that's good. Who else? Who else? Other thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm similar to Amanda. I think I think that phrase. Um, it, the good part about the phrase is I think it it does emphasize that we do need to be actively living out our faith and showing God through our actions. And I think sometimes we can um, get in the danger of just preaching and telling people and then going and, and living a totally different life outside of what our word says. So I think that phrase is a good reminder that, yes, we need to be, our actions need to be living out our faith as well along with our words. Um, but I, I think they both are very important. Yeah. And back to your point, Cody, about like people who are just spiritual. If I'm preaching the gospel the way I'm loving people, um, that's not always evident right on the surface in that 10 minute interaction um, that the truth of the gospel is behind that because mm-hmm. good people can love people and show good love. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't give the full picture of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and the words we've been given, we've been given to share. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's really, really important. I think, you know, uh, I think in Titus, Paul talks about this whole idea of our good works adorning the gospel, okay? So it's not the gospel, uh, but our good works, they dress up the gospel. They help us see how beautiful the gospel really is. And so I, I, would, I would agree with you guys. I think our words are of critical importance, and we haven't yet shared the gospel with someone until we've told them about uh, their lostness in sin and their desperate need for a savior who could only be Jesus Christ and that their only hope in life and in death is turning from their sins and trusting in Jesus. Um, It doesn't have to be those exact words, uh, but uh, kind of putting those concepts on the table I think are are crucial. Well, uh, we talked about, you know, the existence of God, uh, what do we do with you know, these doubts or questions that we have, and then even sharing our faith with people who uh, are not in Christ. So uh, just before we move on, uh, let me ask, are there any follow-up questions that you guys have right now, just as you've kind of been hearing this, and uh, I reserve the right to say, I have no idea, or let's talk about it later, or I love you. An awkward pause, and then on to the next question, okay? Uh, so are there any questions that you guys have? Yeah, Kirsten. Um, you Yeah. Do you guys know of any resources? I know of a few, but if there are any that are... Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> Google. Yeah, Google, Wikipedia. Uh, there are better sources out there. There are, there are better sources out there. I mean, I think a good source is that the person themselves. And so I, I, I learn personally a lot about the Mormon faith by just talking to that person. Um, I think it is probably good to do some research on your own as well, but... Um, yeah, just hearing what they believe, because a lot of times they'll be under this umbrella of this religion, but under that religion, there's a wide range of beliefs as well. So a lot of times it's helpful just to go in um, more or less just with an open mind and say, what do you actually believe instead of lumping them into this camp of, oh, this is what all people of this religion believe. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a really good point. Um, we here, many of us, 
God willing, most of us in here would say that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And then when pressed on particular questions about various areas of truth, we might give a different response, either because there's a range of uh, orthodox or faithful responses to that question, uh, or because uh, we haven't been taught, or we don't know, or we've been ill-informed, or whatever else. And so the same is true uh, with, with any kind of religious uh, pursuit that an individual may have. Um, there's a, a great uh, gospelcoalition.com, com, org? I think it's org? Org, it's org, dot org. Thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, they did a series called Nine Things You Should Know About and then fill in the blank, and a lot of them are on various religions. And so nine things you should know about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and that kind of stuff. And on there, uh, the guy who writes those articles, his name's Joe Carter, and he gives a ton of other resources that are attached to those various things. So uh, that's a great starting point for some of that additional research outside of discussion with the individual. Yeah, Jack. Thegospelcoalition.org. Yes. Yes, sir. Other questions on kind of this area before we press on? Good, everyone's happy. You guys are serving them well. Thank you. This is delightful. All right, so we kind of started getting into this whole idea of relationships on talking with unbelievers, uh, but just relationships in general, uh, we talk a lot about, these are, these are words that we use in our context, and we should use them because they're biblical words, but sometimes we use them, and there's like an assumed meaning without like a real clear, what does this actually mean? What is this, right? Uh, so one student asked, how do you forgive and repent? So kind of twofold question, how do you forgive? How do you repent? Uh, what part of repentance is played in forgiveness and that kind of thing? Uh, just kind of talk a little bit about those concepts for a minute. I'll take that one and I'm gonna think about it first through, I am the person who needs to forgive and repent and then maybe come back and pick up what it looks like when you're on the being hurt in the spectrum and you're the one who has to forgive instead of ask for forgiveness. Um, so I think the first step um, in that is actually grieving our sin. Like we have to understand that we have done wrong, obviously, um, to repent and to seek forgiveness. Um, and part of that is seeing like our sin as an assault to the holy God um, and not just something that I did against you that kind of made you feel bad. Now I feel bad that you feel bad. So I need to, um, that's not the extent of it. It's an assault against God and that should break our hearts. Um, so the first part is um, repentance and grieving our sin before God, I think. Um, after that, we ask for forgiveness first from God um, through what Christ has done. Um, and also on the horizontal aspect of asking for forgiveness from the people that we might have harmed through our sin, um, which is sometimes I find a lot harder than asking for it from God because you're really facing those interpersonal consequences. Um, and with that, I think part of like true repentance is trying to make those consequences, um, some of them, when you sin, that's just going to be natural consequences and you can't change or take that back. Um, but sometimes there are things that if we are repenting, we can go out of our way um, to mend those relationships, to um, reconcile ourselves to our brothers and sisters um, through what Christ has done. Um, so we, we ask for forgiveness from God. We ask for forgiveness from the other people. We try to reconcile. 
Um, but another big part of true repentance, I think, is stop doing whatever you are doing, right? Repentance, we talk a lot of times about, like, you're going this way, you turn, you 180 the other way. Sorry, I almost hit you in the face. <laughs> um, stop doing it. My mom always told me growing up, sorry means you won't do it again. Um, so it's stop doing it. And some things you can do that I found helpful are like throw a bunch of roadblocks in your way from that sin. Get, when you're confessing it to other people, your small group, have them come around you and make it really hard for you to continue in that sin. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that, um, forgiving, um, a couple weeks ago we were in Matthew 18 um, with Doug, um, and Paul, Peter comes up, says, how many times do I have to forgive? Like, mm, seven. <laughs> like, that's enough, right? Um, and Jesus totally flips that and says, no, basically, forgive the way that I have forgiven you. Um, and that is, we forgive without counting, without holding grudges, without keeping score in our head. Um, we forgive as Christ forgave us as Christians. And that does open us up, I think, to a lot of hurt. It um, makes us vulnerable. Um, and that doesn't always feel good or safe, but that's what Christ calls us to, is to forgive um, unconditionally as Christ forgave us. Yeah. What do you guys think? That's really good. Sad. Really good. Yeah, so what about, what about this concept uh, with forgiveness? And I really appreciate you bringing in both the, the horizontal and the vertical aspect. I mean, this is David in Psalm 51 when he sins. Uh, he kills a man and commits adultery, and he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Uh, and yes, he sinned against the man that he killed, and he sinned in many other ways. Uh, but the, the, the primary issue is the vertical reality between what's gone on in our hearts and the Lord, and that has to be dealt with just as well as the horizontal. So I really appreciate that perspective. So let's kind of throw out a phrase maybe that we've heard before, um, this whole concept of forgive and forget. I mean, is that a biblical concept? Should we strive for that? Is that a real thing? Um, so... When I hear that, I kind of hear this thought like, I'm going to forgive you, and then I'm just, I'm just not going to think about it anymore. Like, I'm just not going to deal with it. Like, that's kind of the, the thought that I hear behind that. And I don't think true forgiveness always works like that. Sometimes um, you've forgiven somebody, and uh, it comes to mind again, their offense, and you have to forgive them again and again and again. And it's choosing to forgive that person um, and not dwell on that. Um, But there is also the forgetting of not dwelling on it Mm -hmm. um, and giving that over to the Lord and trusting the Lord with um, any hurts that there may have been um, and choosing to die to self to love that person. Um, And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my thoughts. And I think also remembering that we're forgiving from the um, stance of someone who has been forgiven. Yeah. Um, so we're dealing with people um, the way that we would want to. And that again and again and again, but because I have been so much more infinitely forgiven by God. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I think, I think this whole uh, forgive and forget, Amanda and Rachel, exactly what you guys are saying, it's, 
it's th these things. It's not like, oh, okay, so in order for me to genuinely forgive, I can't ever think about this again. No, it's, it's a decision of what to do with that when you think about it again. And forgiveness is this commitment that by God's grace, I'm not going to dwell on that in such a way that will allow bitterness to arise in my heart. I'm going to be diligent and intentional to seek the Lord's help and favor in treating that as a forgiven offense and trying to move beyond that. Um, you know, I think it's also important to say on this particular topic, uh, genuine forgiveness doesn't always result in the relationship being as it was before the offense. You guys tracking with that? Uh, genuine forgiveness doesn't always result in the relationship being the same as it was before the offense. And so there are some kinds of ways that we can offend one another, sin against one another, that yes, forgiveness can genuinely be extended, but the relationship necessarily changes. And that's okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're holding unforgiveness. Now, we need to watch that and be careful with that. Um, but uh, it's not this, you know, I did this very terrible thing against you and I asked for forgiveness and you said you forgave me, so why aren't you coming over to my house for dinner tonight? Um, well, because we're not quite there right now. Like, there, there might need to be some time. There might need to be some space. There might need to be some additional help and healing that needs to happen. And we might never get back to where we were before. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we're holding unforgiveness in our hearts. Uh, good. So, you know, this whole idea of sinning against others. Uh, how are you guys doing? Are you guys good? Yeah? Oh, yeah, Marissa. Great question. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that to make sure everybody over here could hear. Um, Marissa asked, okay, but what about like if it wasn't actually a sin issue, like you said something and it hurt somebody's feelings, but it wasn't sinful in what you were saying to them, um, are you still responsible for repenting of that and seeking forgiveness in those situations? I think we have to love people well and be mindful. Um, but I don't think necessarily, and the, the situation that comes to mind is sometimes when we speak truth to people, it's offensive if they're in their sin, and they might be really offended by that, but it's truth and it's good to speak and we shouldn't repent of that. So I think that's the extreme case. So I don't think the answer is yes, no, always. There's no black and white answer. Mm -hmm. um, I think we should be loving and cognizant of who we're talking to and how we're talking to. And maybe we did speak something that wasn't the most loving, and if it's loving to say, I'm sorry, um, by all means, right? Um, but we, we can't tiptoe through our words and worry about how everyone is perceiving them. Um, we speak with love and we speak carefully and kindly. Um, but I don't think being offended should be the mark of whether we need to consider repenting or not. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's, it, it's a challenging issue. And what we have to be careful of, uh, hear me on this, this is not a genuine apology. I'm sorry that that hurt you. You have not apologized. Uh, all you've said is, I'm sorry you're so weak and that was offensive. You should learn to suck it up, right? Uh, that's not a real apology, right? Uh, when we are saying sorry, when we're seeking forgiveness, we're taking ownership of what we've done. And so we should really mean it when we apologize, when we seek forgiveness. We need to reconcile first within ourselves. Yes, 
that was hurtful. I didn't intend for it to be that way, but it absolutely was. And so I want to take ownership for that and apologize. And there might be some other times where just because someone was hurt and offended by it doesn't mean you were in the wrong. And just as Rachel was saying, we don't need to take ownership for that. And we can still be very tender and gentle and loving in that situation. But just because someone's offended, their emotions are not the final authority in whether or not something was sinful. We should be open to the idea that maybe I did cross the line and really consider that, but we might not always land on, yeah, I need to seek forgiveness for that. Yeah, I think off of that last statement that if someone is offended, I think that is a good chance for us to kind of take a deep breath, take a step back and realize why were they offended by what I said? Mm-hmm. And, and like, what was your motivation behind telling them? Maybe you were wanting to communicate one thing in your mind and you did not articulate how you wanted to and there is room for some clarification like, and a lot of times just talking out like, oh, why, why were you offended by that? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can just be how they interpreted what you said. Um, but I, I think when someone is offended, I, I, like I said, I don't think it's, it means you need to um, repent or anything, but I think it is, gives you pause to think, why were they offended, and, and look at yourself and think, am I in the wrong at all in this? Yeah, yeah. And B, this is something I heard just a couple months ago. It's been so helpful for me. But we have a tendency to be very generous with ourselves and strict with others. We need to flip that around. We need to be strict with ourselves and generous with others. And so uh, somebody might say, hey, that really hurt me. And we can be really generous to ourselves. Like, it doesn't make deal. And, you know, it's, not, it's all good. And really, you know what I mean? But if we really, like, if we're being strict with ourselves and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to really um, do that consideration and land there. Uh, yeah, Sydney. Yeah, so if you confront someone in like a loving way about something that needs to be confronted and they're offended, should you apologize for that? Or um, I, think, I think we would say no, um, as long as you did that in a genuinely loving way and that your motivation was to help them and to love them in that situation. Yeah, great question. Uh, are you guys okay to do just, yeah, Maddie. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So the question is, uh, God's word tells us to keep no record of wrongs that we, you know, the whole concept of seven times, 77 times forgiving others that Jesus says to Peter, it's inherent in that, like, we shouldn't be keeping track of others' offenses. We should always stand ready to forgive. But what if in confrontation, uh, part of us helping this individual see their sin is by saying, you know, it, it wasn't just that once, but... It was also this, and it was that time, and we've been here before, and that kind of thing. Uh, is that okay? Is that right? Is that acceptable? Or is that failing to do what God's told us to do and not keeping a record of wrongs? Uh, what say you, oh wise panel? Um, I think, yeah, I think sometimes that can be helpful to kind of help them uh, see their past behavior. Um, 
I, I, it's really tricky, I think, to answer this in general, because I feel like it's probably a very case-by-case basis. Um, so I do think there is sometimes that are appropriate to kind of point out a pattern of behavior that is leading that person down a particular path. Um, I don't know if I'd necessarily like come up with a whole s- spreadsheet to show like how you're keeping track of the pay- of of their um, of their actions, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't have a great answer for that, but I don't think it's a thing you can generally answer for everybody. I would caution that you would be aware of what's going on in your heart in that situation too, mm-hmm. um, because it's really easy to come at that with some maybe bitterness, underlying bitterness, and be like, well, I'm confronting you, but deep down, like, I just really want to point out all the ways you've hurt me, and, um, and I've been there. <laughs> and uh, so I think it's really, it's really important to be aware of what's going on in your heart. Have I surrendered this to the Lord? Am I coming to this person uh, because I love them and I genuinely want what's best for them, which is that they would repent and turn from this sin? Or am I coming at them to, uh, you know, be kind and, you know, point out their um, things because I am a good Christian, but really I'm uh, just wanting to expose it all and throw it all out there and kind of rehash like all the hurts and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's Check really good, really good. Yeah, what's going on in your heart? The motivation is so big when we consider this. Um, you know, I, I would say on these particular kinds of situations, what we have to look at in God's word is. Yes, we see what that line says, but we also want to understand the intent of the text. And so when it's talking about love keeps no record of wrongs, uh, we want to understand that in the context of giving this full-orbed understanding of love, but is it saying there, and every time that a record of wrongs is being kept, it's wrong, it's not loving. Um, and so you'd want to you'd want to consider maybe a little bit more of you know God's word talks about there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law and there's understanding what is what is this particular concept in scripture trying to affect, okay? Uh, and so that you know we we got to be careful that we don't wiggle out of obedience with that. Um, but what we're trying to do is genuinely seek hey what is what is the way of love in this particular situation? Um, yeah. That's a really good question. It's a really complicated question. Um, but there, there is part of it where, and maybe part of it too is even in the way that you have that conversation with the individual. So you're having this conversation about this person that um, is just like abrasive and mean or whatever. And uh, you start that conversation by saying, hey, did you know that you're a jerk? And let me tell you all the times that you've been a jerk, right? Uh, it was that one time when you did this and it was that one time when you, uh, or, is there a, a way to do that maybe with a little bit more skill and saying, hey, you know, I, I saw the way that that happened. How did, what did you think about that? Like, how did people respond? Why do you think they responded that way? Have people responded that way before? Oh, okay. Uh, and you kind of help them follow the pattern a little bit rather than da 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 kind of railroading them in, in a way. Uh, we're at 44 minutes right now. Uh, how many of you guys, by vote of head nod, would like one or two more questions? <laughs> Some of you are like, 
Yeah, all right. Uh, let, let's, do, let's do one or two more because we don't do this very often and uh, I'm loving this personally. I hope it's serving you guys well. Um, so let's just do one or two more. Um, we'll, we'll do, this one could be quick, okay? So quick response here. Uh, how much does Satan know compared to God? Okay, so um, two scripture references. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning was God. And uh, I think it's John 1.1 is, in the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, in the beginning was not God and Satan. Uh, Satan was created, which means Satan's knowledge is limited, and um, he is not all-powerful, all-knowing, or um, everywhere. And so... um, while that is, he is limited, he's also cunning, um, and he wants to defame God. And so he will come after um, us, and we have to be on guard and careful. Good, good. Any quick things to add to that, or do you guys feel good about that? Right on, girl. That's good. Spoken from the authority on how much Satan knows. Um, Good. So uh, with that, you know, it's not this dualism idea where there's good against evil and there are equal powers and we'll see who wins kind of thing. But God's supreme overall as the only creator, Satan as creature that God created. Um, So then sin enters into the world. Uh, Did God know, or maybe to say it a little bit more firmly, did God plan for sin to enter into the world? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. So, uh, thank you guys for coming. And no, <laughs> go ahead. Um, so, God's plan we see through the whole biblical narrative is painting this giant story arch over all of time, um, and God's plan is ultimately um, to glorify the Godhead, to show how big and beautiful and gracious and merciful He is, and reveal that to creation, um, and. We believe that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all the things Amanda was talking about. And part of that means that we have to reconcile the reality that that means that God knew sin was going to happen. Um, So on the one side, we have that. um, And on the other side, we have to hold the other side of God knew the cross was going to happen too. As much as he knew that sin was going to be a thing, he knew that he had a plan for it. And that's part of the story arc that he has that is so much bigger than our lives. Um, but yeah, it's part of God's permissive will, which is what God allows to happen, but doesn't necessarily will to happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Is that confusing enough for everyone? Not confusing because of how Rachel said it, but just because, my goodness. Um, it's, and there's a lot of tangent questions that hang on that that take yeah. a lot of mental thought and reconciling who we think God is versus who the scriptures say that he is and... There's a lot that goes with it. Absolutely. And it's real confusing even for people who have been, I don't know, doctor, almost Cody. It's still a little bit. <laughs> Dan is more of a doctor than I am, oh. so I assure you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is. And, and, and also what, what comes in is it's not just an intellectual question, okay? Uh, it's an emotional question as well because the ramifications of how we respond to that have impact on people that we love dearly and their eternity based on what God sovereignly uh, decided 
before the ages began. And so uh, we kind of have to, in our own hearts, ask, am I thinking about this from an intellectual perspective or from an emotional perspective? And there's nothing wrong with emotions. God created emotions, they're good. We should serve the Lord with our emotions. Uh, But we have to be careful of offering unequal weight to one or the other. We need to blend these truths, realities, Capacities, I guess would be a better word to say, that God's given us, both intellectual and emotional. So uh, we live in an imperfect world that has been uh, greatly damaged by sin. Uh, Is it wrong for us to hope for a perfect world? Uh, No. Um, So uh, God... (laughs) Glad I got this. That's good. Okay, so... uh, Ultimately, God's plan for restoration is that he would one day, he will one day come and uh, gather up those that are in Christ and uh, create a new world for us. And so Revelation 21, uh, I would encourage you guys to go and read that, talks about what this new world will look like. And uh, it will be a world that's free of sin and free of suffering and in the presence of Jesus. So um, that's something that we should be longing for. And um, in Revelation 22, John says, amen, come Lord Jesus, come. And that should be um, the posture of our hearts um, in looking forward to one day there will be a perfect world. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I think, I think maybe the caution in this particular way of thinking is to not get to a point where we say, if, if uh, I would do it differently than God did it. And uh, my way would have been a better way. It would have been a more loving way. It would have been a more kind way. It would have been good where God's wasn't. And I think that's sometimes where we can go with this kind of thinking. It's not wrong wrong to long for a perfect world, uh, but we also have to trust in God's sovereignty and in his goodness and in his wisdom and how he's bringing that about. Yeah, and I think um, I just want to kind of share personally in my and I's life, um, most of you know we will be moving in June to Illinois. Um, but so Molly and I are really sad to like have to leave all of Harvest and, and uh, all our community here. But one of just the truths of the Bible that we have clung on to, um, that, and it's just going to be so sweet, is in eternity when we will all be together um, in eternity, glorifying God, all is one. Um, and so it, that has just been an awesome picture for Molly and I as we are sad to leave some of you guys, but it's just, it gives us such hope that there is, that God is bringing everybody um, under, under one rule and one glory, and it's, it just can provide just a, a lot of hope for us in this life and um, just a lot of excitement for how good God is. Yeah, amen. Uh, I'm mad at Dan for talking about that. You're not allowed to do that until May, okay? I, I don't know if I said that explicitly or not. Um, amen, though, good stuff. <laughs> um, okay, well, you guys need to go to small group because you need to see each other and love each other. Uh, can you guys thank the panel here? <laughs> <laughs>